the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is wonderful to be able to bring back Representative David Schweikert. He uh, represents Arizona's 1st Congressional District here. And, uh, David, you're in Washington right now still, correct? Yep, I'm sitting in my office, and I just downloaded uh, a Medicare actuary report, so... Yay, another exciting event. <laughs> That's exciting to be you, yes. I'm glad. Better you than me, as the old joke goes. Uh, David, I, I was just talking a little bit with the audience about the atmosphere right now. I know sometimes Washington is seen as a bubble, but I sometimes wonder, too, if that bubble is, doesn't get thicker the closer you narrow down the institutional silos. For instance, the bubble that might exist at the Department of Justice or the FBI. There's just this increasing sense in tangible, tactile, sharp relief from people who otherwise are, you know, normally extremely patriotic and believe in, you know, the the integrity and the sanctity of our institutions. This this, this isn't obtaining right now, sir. Um, and I um, wonder if you might yeah. speak to some of that or if you're feeling or hearing that, too. No, no. Um, I think you even go, need to go much more global. OK. Um Think, tell me, and this is for anyone listening, what is the institution you actually believe in? Um, okay, many of us are church-going people. We still have faith in our church. But many, many, many Americans don't. Do you have faith in your school? Do you have faith in your university? Do you have faith in your town city council? Do you have faith in your state? Do you have faith in the federal government? Do you have faith in your president? Do you have faith in your hospital? Do you have faith in... Think of all the institutions around us, and a lot of that faith has been broken because uh, a number of these organizations have engaged in bad acts and have been unwilling to do sort of recompense. Um, you know, it, it, it's you know uh, w- when you realize you've screwed up, sometimes you got to stand up and say, you know, I know better now. Um, so there is also another um, uh, cynicism I have, and this actually goes straight at the left. The left needs to destroy faith in institutions of all kinds. Mm-hmm. For you to, you know, functionally, um, uh, you know, have defense of liberty, mm-hmm. you often have that by defense of institutions mm-hmm. that protect freedom. Yep. Um, and that's why the politicization of something like the FBI, the politicization of what I'm dealing with right now, um, the IRS, and that continues. But some of this isn't new. I need you to think back 10 years ago when we started to find out that the Patriot Act that was put together after 9-11 had started to be used to functionally spy on Americans, which was a violation of the Constitution, violation of the law itself. And the fights we had even 10 years ago on its renewal, on the rules, hey, 
you know, the NSA, the CIA, the FBI are going to use these tools to look for terrorists, not start to look at their enemies who may be domestic. And we're, we're about to head into that. Um, the destruction of institutions, whether it be from political means, from the hyper-partisan populations who often work in these bureaucracies, um, it's, it's like it's bad on almost all cylinders. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, people have been worried about this for a long time, obviously. Yes. And you've been warning, I mean, to, to, to oh, yeah. give you we, some due on this. You've been use... warning about this for some time coming, too. What we're not, look, we're not looking at – you were talking thunder, thunder, thunderclouds gathering, right? And, well, I, I was, and we're now, I, I, we're now, we're now standing term, here drenched. <laughs> yeah, I've used the term with you many times yeah. going back for years, the weaponization. Yeah of everything, mm-hmm. the weaponization of politics, the weaponization of almost all power. Um, and for those of us who are elected, I mean, we walk around here, you know, trying to be warriors. At the same time, um, the HR department is weaponized against you. You fire an employee, you, you, you expect a lawsuit now. You do this, you expect a complaint filed. You do this. I mean, I need you to sort of think about it more than just the FBI. Almost everything around us is, in many ways, to make you timid, yeah, to take away boldness, yeah, to make you fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, um, the left and the bureaucracy is winning. You said something interesting too. I wanted to focus on a little bit, which I think is symptomatic of what's going on. You said there used to be this sense when an official, you know was caught having done something wrong. I think you said screwed up. You know, you say, yeah, I know better now. And you look at some of the testimony going on before, well, some that's going on in the House, some of that which took place with the deputy director of the FBI in the Senate yesterday in um, in Fred Abate. There is no sense of shame. There's oh. no sense of remorse. There's no sense of embarrassment. There's no sense of any form of wrongdoing. It's really an arrogance and a doubling down, if anything. Look, um, uh, the grand one, and, and it actually could also provide great um, danger for us in the United States of the world, is the leadership around COVID. Yeah, right, right. Um, That's the biggie, too. Uh, and you think about it, it's, and I've had this conversation with some people at CDC and those things, and they're very frustrated because they think like scientists right. and not the political faces that get appointed, saying, guess what? Everything I know today will be wrong tomorrow because there will be a new set of data. There will be a new statistic. We'll have a, a new understanding. And the arrogant class would get up and say, this is what you have to do. And then 48 hours later, we'd, there'd be a new report, a new study, and the willingness to get behind that microphone and say, hey, I know something new today I need to share with you. What I told you 48 hours ago is wrong. There wasn't much of that that went on during the COVID. It was almost like they were fearful that they couldn't be honest. And and this is one of my personal fixations, and and it makes some people very angry, but my congressional district treats me well. We We try to treat our voters like adults. You know, we use big words, we, we use accurate information, we give you statistics, because, and, and if I sent you something last week in our newsletter and we have something new this week, we'll say, hey, we have an update. Mm-hmm. We do that all the time because information changes. 
But the political class, the bureaucratic class, hates to admit they were wrong. And when they do that, you cannot trust them because you will learn they were wrong. You know what's so interesting to me about that, and it's well said by you, is that the nature of science, as you were saying, you know, these non-political scientists, you know, they'll say X one day and say, well, we have a new study and now it's what we're thinking is closer to Y or whatever. New new information comes along which alters original theses or hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Those of us that were bringing that new information or tried to, oh, we were, we were what were we called? We were called anti-science or science deniers. That's the dramatic irony of this. Well, and look, you know, uh, and I would get up and say, you know, I, I, I have a fairly a decent math background and say, hey, you know, statistically, it's insane for me to do this to my children. I'm never going to do that. They have to look at the data. And I would get yelled at by um, my liberal acolytes, and then I would send them the paper or mm-hmm. send them the report, and I would never hear from them again. Yeah, right. And right. that actually became one of our tactics is saying, look, here's the information. Read it and let me know what you think. And I would know they would never read it, or if they did read it, they didn't want to communicate with me anymore. <laughs> so, so, but sort of take that sort of theory to something like the FBI. What happens when the most powerful law enforcement agency functionally in the world is politicized? And they claim, saying, we're trying to depoliticize it. But they almost are unwilling to admit what's right in front of us, right in front of them. And how do you fix something until you admit you have the problem? So you you see where my theory is going. It's the problem's there. We can see it. And you can't fix it. And then you come back to your original thesis. Why don't we trust institutions anymore? They're not willing to admit what we all see. I had a caller in the last hour, David, and – you know, he was lamenting some of this with us, with me as well. And one of the concerns, you know, even if we have, and God please, should we have next year a, you know, a, a change of party leadership in, in, in the White House and in the Congress and Senate, House and Senate, not a change in the House, but maybe additional <laughs> building on our gains in the House. Yeah, it's a little hard when you have a four-vote margin. Yes, of course. But if we do sweep... And or make it's things are so broken. It's it's not an easy fix. And the sense of entitlement by the left, I believe, because of the way they have ratcheted up the rhetoric on our 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 Republican point of view, it's 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 going to be just as divisive. Do you you want to take you someplace uglier? Okay. so, okay, I'm the idiot from, you know, Arizona CD (laughs) one. And I get up in front of an audience with all my charts and all my data. You know, it's from CBO, it's from the OMB, it's from, you know, the the Economist. It's good data. It's yeah. vetted. Yeah. And I walk you through saying, here's what's about to happen to debts and deficits. Here's why it's happening. And we'll survey the folks after, and they say, oh yeah, it's interesting, but we don't believe you. Yeah. Because we just don't believe anything anymore. Right. Right. How do you do policy? Difficult policy in a world. Where no one trusts it. Yeah, I know. You're a good uh, Catholic. You've heard of invincible ignorance, no doubt. Oh, That's yeah. what we're dealing with. David Schweikert, bless you, sir. Thank you very much for everything and for keeping our heads in, pointed in the right direction on this stuff. And Seth, thank you for having me. God bless you. Go get him. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Okay, young David, what's our political pin say today? What uh, what's your lapel pin got going for us today? It's got a picture of Uncle Sam pointing his thumb down, and it says, no third term. Oh. Roosevelt? Yes, it was against Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. How far back do you go? What's Is that the oldest pin you have? Or? The oldest one I have is from 1905. Oh, really? Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, in the grand scheme of pins, they're small pieces of metal, so it didn't cost me a lot, right. but it cost me a lot for a pin. Sure, I understand. Uh, any ethical dilemmas you need to raise today, or are we okay for Ethical dilemmas? Yeah, well, we, we, we had we, that great we one sufficiently about, solved we Bud sufficiently Light. solved the one on Bud Light. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a, I've got something. Yeah. You, you, if we want to take the time to talk about it. Take a it. minute. And how does how does one uh, show off to a friend that he has made a, a larger purchase? For example, recently we've discussed that I, you know, that I have this car in yeah, my life. Yeah. And how do I expose that to a friend of mine that maybe doesn't know I have that without looking like I can just be a spendthrift? Oh, uh, interesting. Yes. The humility of uh, conspicuous consumption, huh? That's the chapter title. Okay. The humility of conspicuous consumption. I think you say nothing. I say nothing. Yeah. Do you know what? Um, there was an ad campaign in circa 1967, 68. You'll probably go home tonight and hunt for it. Uh, by, <laughs> by the Rolls-Royce Motor Company or whatever their official title was by Rolls-Royce. Do you know what the ad campaign was? The only one I know for Rolls-Royce is, pardon me, have you any Grey Poupon? Well, okay. That was uh, – <laughs> 20 yes, years later. But that was yes. for Grey Poupon. Uh, it was no ad. It was no ad. They wanted nothing more than the joyous, happy, comfortable faces behind the wheels of their car to speak for themselves. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. yeah. So um, maybe when you're Rolls-Royce, you can do that. Oh, or maybe yeah. <laughs> when you have the fine driving machine that you have, and it is a fine one, you can do that too. I say say nothing. Okay. Sometimes, Sometimes saying nothing can speak – the most humbly and the loudest at the same time. It's a tough one. I'm not as articulate on it as I was the last one, but I think that I think we counsel saying nothing. But we open it up. We crowdsource these questions once in a while. Yes, yes, we should. <laughs> so we open it up. And I, I'll have to come up with more dilemmas. I, well, I, you don't have to come up with them. Yeah, may you live a, a dilemma-free life. I would like you to have a dilemma-free life, but yes. we're here for you, young David. Please understand we're here for you. I had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, we had played some of Ted Cruz's uh, uh, questioning of uh, Deputy FBI Director Fred Abate yesterday. Uh, equally good covering a slightly different angle was Josh Hawley. And I didn't want to uh, not give him the due or also expose that which he exposed in the Judiciary Committee of the Senate yesterday. Not Releasing the 1023 or talking about it as a matter of Let me of set this up again. For those, for those that are new to it, this obviously is about the issue having to do where the FBI has an investigation ongoing and evidently a confidential informant that has been reliable in the past that they have paid several hundred thousand dollars to for reliable information in the past who has audio recordings – of a Burisma executive, we think possibly the CEO, but certainly an executive at Burisma, um, audio recordings of himself with both Hunter Biden and Joe Biden that establish the double $5 million payments to the Biden family that the FBI refuses to show to the American people or even acknowledge with the American people. Question of life and death, you said. 
Explain. It is potentially a question of life and death for whom? With regard to the source of the information. So, okay, so now we've confirmed that the document exists. That's progress because the FBI director initially denied that it exists. Why did he do that? We, we have already and previously acknowledged the existence of the documents. Yeah, after you first denied it. Now, when a member of this committee read it, right, the FBI director, let's just get the record straight. The FBI director initially said it doesn't exist. Then Senator Grassley said, I've read it. Then he said, oh, okay, well, gotcha. I guess it does exist. Now you're going back and forth with members of this committee, what's in it. Why do you just release it? Is it classified? The document is not classified. Okay. Will you commit to releasing it? Senator, we'll take that back and we will work with you in this committee. Uh, How about just a yes or no? Will you commit to releasing this unclassified document that alleges that the President of the United States, the President of the United States, has taken $5 million or more in bribes from a foreign nation? The document has already been released pursuant to a subpoena to the House Oversight Committee. Has it been it released to this committee? We work with this committee within the parameters that are established to meet Will you the release the document to the public? It's unclassified. Don't you think the American people have a right to see it? Uh, Senator, the document, as you know, contains sensitive information that has bearing on the life of the source of the information, potentially. You can redact the source's name. We do this all the time. In some instances, Senator, and I know you know this, that is not sufficient to protect people. And that's what we strive and work to do each and every day. And I hope you would take that seriously, too. Oh, I take it very seriously. But I also take seriously the fact that your institution has repeatedly abused its authority, has repeatedly targeted political opponents. Your institution is the one that went to the door of pro-life protesters with SWAT teams to try and intimidate people because of their speech. Your institution is the one that treated parents as domestic terrorists because of their speech. Your institution is the one that, according to the court, the FISA court, ran 278,000 unwarranted, probably illegal queries on Americans, right? That was your institution, correct? There, the, with respect to the compliance incidents, yes, some of the other things you cited, we can take them one by one. They are not compliance you you would characterize the unlawful querying 278,000 times of american citizens as compliance issues we've said before i've said that the totally unacceptable who's been uh, fired for it individuals involved uh, are handled through the disciplinary process who's been fired for it we have there in the in the case of the uh, unintentional instance or something similar happened, we have fired people in the past. Wait, I, I'm sorry, what, what, what does that word salad mean? The unintentional instance where some, what, what does that mean? Who's been fired for the 278,000 times that you improperly or illegally queried the database for American citizens? When we Anybody? When we find intentional incidents. Well, you're saying that the 278,000 queries were unintentional? I believe that's correct. <laughs> okay. And they wonder why there's no trust anymore. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Is there any single solitary human being that doesn't love that song? That is simply a lovable song, isn't it? It's probably one of Glenn's greatest. It, well, it is, and and that or Galveston, but 
you know, I could see people having different views of Galveston, but everyone loves Rhinestone Cowboy. I want to hear why you love Galveston so much. Oh, well, because it's the most beautiful wedding of lyrics and music by two giants. Uh, Jimmy Webb, who wrote the song, um, great, great, obvious, uh, obvious musical writer, MacArthur Park, etc., and Glenn Campbell. And if you ever do me a favor after the show, just turn. You have wonderful acoustics in there, you know. Blast it, and you will just hear how wonderful it is. Oh, I've heard Galveston. Yeah, many times. Yeah, I, I just uh, take you know, some I, people a few times to understand what it's about. They're not sure exactly what it's about at first, but it tells a hell of a story. Excuse my French. It tells a heck of a story. Yeah, yeah. We're okay. okay. Yeah, we're okay. <clears throat> I was uh, I was curious, you know, when Ron DeSantis kind of muffed his announcement for candidacy, you know, a lot of people said um, it'll be a one-week story and then it'll be forgotten. It'll be a forgotten story. And um, it, to me, was an open question. The specific of what happened with his announcement on Twitter and that sort of thing would probably be forgotten. But I thought it would be determined by how well he did in the aftermath. Everyone can strike out and then you come back at bat, come back up to bat and recover. And I was just thinking about how that was going. And if you look, for example, at the real clear politics poll average, you know, they do these wonderful tracking polls and averaging of polls and identification of polls. Um, It's not getting better. And if you kind of think about it, um, the only way the race is tightening has nothing to do with his doing better in the polling has to do with the vacillations in Trump's polling. I don't know what he does or can do right now, but they have a lot of work cut out for them. And if they think that, um, if they think over there that they can become saints on other people's sins, a question Chesterton raises about theology, um, if they think that, you know, Donald Trump will hurt himself or destroy himself, um, that remains to be seen. He's getting bumps up from what's transpired. And he's representing a sentiment that, whether true or not, when he says they're coming after me because I'm standing between you and them, debatable or not, That resonates. And people do have that palpable feeling. And when you connect the dots that Josh Hawley just did, reminding people about the abuses of the FBI that were going after ordinary citizens, this is a long time coming. You go back to Lois Lerner and the Obama administration when the IRS was going after conservative small business returns, and they happened to be Coincidentally enough, just conservatives. And you go through the litany that Josh Hawley described, 
pro-life activists, parents showing up at school board meetings. You look at the FISA violations. You look at the labeling of school board meeting attendees as domestic terrorists, mothers and fathers. And then you wed that to this concept that the administration doesn't even think mothers and fathers have the rights to the raise their own children, a huge topic, not a paradigm shift, a tectonic plate shift in our understanding between the individual and the state, the family and the government. I want to come back on that in just a moment. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Okay, Tony in Scottsdale. Hello, Tony. Hey, uh, Seth, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Seth. Hey, uh, a huge, huge Glenn Campbell fan here. So, uh, so, so tell me, I've always, uh, I've always tried to figure out what, uh, what the meaning of the Galveston song was. Is it about a woman? Is it about the hurricane? What, what is <laughs> the meaning of the song? No, it did confuse people. They weren't quite sure. That's right, but right. it's a it's a story about a soldier, and so it was right. It came out uh, in 1968, and it's a, a story about a soldier who's uh, dreaming of his girl, his best girl, as they used to say, who lives back in his hometown of Galveston, and he's thinking of Galveston okay. at the same time. I still hear your sea waves okay. crashing while I watch the cannons flashing, and then he compares Galveston to his girl. Okay, all right. I and I kind of got that last time I heard the song. I just I didn't know if there's any if there was any additional meaning to it. I, I didn't know, realize it was a soldier, but uh, anyway, it's a great song, and I love Glenn Campbell. I, I and it, I, I never knew until about five years. She ago. She was twenty one when I left Galveston. That that would be a that would be a <laughs> yeah yeah. I see there, her there dark go. eyes glowing. There you go. I hear your sea winds blowing. Right. I see her dark eyes. It's a little bit like the old song. Um, you know what it reminds me of a little bit? Um, Miami, My Amy by Keith Whitley. Okay, Where I he don't talks know that about one. the city and the girl. That's a beautiful song, too. It's same same concept, Miami, My Amy. Try it. Listen to it sometime. Okay. Hey, uh, so uh, I, I am... Uh, yeah, I, I did I, not I get really a real... I did not get a real good harump from you out of that. You you, you just kind of dismissed... Ah, all right. You just kind of dismissed that recommendation. I, I didn't I didn't get well, sincerity I, I, you know, from I, you, Tony. I, <laughs> I will... Uh, I will take that under advisement later on. Uh-huh. But uh, you sound so, like the deputy um, director of well, the FBI. Okay, I know, right? Exactly. So, uh, but now with Ron DeSantis, I, I know right now he's he's kind of. I, I know he's not really. Uh, not, no, he's not polling very well right now. I, I do think that as we go on, I, 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 I could be wrong about this because I haven't seen him enough. But and, and I'm really pulling for the guy. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm hoping that once we get to the debate stage that that he's that he's going to start to catch his wind. And I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, anything is possible. And, and of course, it's way too early to write off any candidacy. I mean, you know, anyone yeah. could anyone could do anything uh, from here until uh, until, uh, I don't know, March is probably when things really sift themselves out. But but it just it's odd to me. That there was like waiting for Godot, all this, all this expectation 
uh, of great surge come his announcement, which was what, last week of May, I think, May 23rd, 24th, 25th, somewhere in there. And and it just hasn't happened. And everyone said, well, yeah. OK, that Twitter announcement was a was a was a gamble and loss for sure. A swing and a miss. But it probably won't be remembered as he does. Well, you know, there's no substitute for victory, but it hasn't shown yet. And, you know, we're we're, yeah, yeah. we're, we're it's all it's early. It's only a few weeks. It's not quite a month since he announced. But he's pretty much frozen in that 2021 percentile field. And it's just kind of interesting right. to well, me more and more attention is going yeah. to Vivek and Tim. Yeah. Well, this, this is what I would say is, uh, you know, politics as in sports, you want to close well. Yes. And uh, yes. so we'll, we'll, yes. well, we'll say, yeah, you, you, you know, you, you need to get hot. You don't need to be hot at the beginning. You need to be hot in the playoffs. Well, I and don't so, know. Uh, I don't know that that is true of politics, Tony. I think it's probably true in, in sports. I don't know that it's true in politics. I saw this with Giuliani. You know, he 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 kept planning to win a primary and come in top three uh, in the first three or four primaries, and he never finished top. Never never even got to top three. We saw it with Tim Scott. You saw it with Kamala Harris. Early early support does seem to matter. Um, no, you no, can't keep no, waiting. You got a good point there for sure. You can't keep waiting. Yeah, because people align. Yeah, well, you know they they align. Right, David's yeah. right. Nixon called it the big mo, the big momentum. The the um, uh, yeah, uh, right. Go ahead. All right, well, let me throw one other thing out sure. at you. Is that and that th- this whole deal with Trump and the indictment it, it stinks on about eight different levels. But the other reason that it stinks is that it's sucking all the wind out of. And it may be very intentional by the Democrats and the Biden administration. It's sucking all the wind out of uh, out of the other things that we should be talking about, like like Ron DeSantis, like about the policy issues, like everything else. And so I, it's, it's it's probably extremely intentional in the Biden administration, and I and I think that's probably got some of an effect as well. Yeah, I can't tell if the Democrats are going this hard against him because they want him to be the nominee. Or if they grow in this heart against him because they want to put him away and don't want him to be the nominee. I, That's an open yeah, question, I, too. I, I, yeah, I, I personally think them think that they want Trump to be the nominee. Maybe. Maybe. I, yeah, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to get into that mind as to what they view of Trump because Trump is, uh, is so is – so, the word I want to say is unpredictable what he can do. It's right. unpredictable what right. he can do. Very few people have been able to – turn sow's ears into silk purses the way he can yeah well you, you're it's unpredictable that is for sure yeah all yeah, right yeah. now what 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 is the name of that song that you want me to listen to? thank you thank you tony for circling back the artist is keith whitley w-h-i-t-l-e-y okay. interesting story okay. in his life tragic early ending to his life laurie morgan's first husband um the song is miami like the city my Amy. It's three words. Miami, my pronoun, Miami, my Amy. Amy. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. You'll love it. Listen to the lyrics. All right. I, I will I, I will absolutely listen to it tonight and get back with you. Would you please do so, Tony? Thank you. Will do. Yeah, Thanks, I'll sir. expect your call tomorrow. That's much better than the deputy director <laughs> of the FBI. I love it. All right. Very good. God bless you, Tony. Thank you so much. Uh, Rachel Levine, you know who she is, right? Uh, The Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, I think the first openly or the first transgender political appointment in any administration. You've seen her. You know who I'm talking about. So supportive of uh, 
schools being able to and having the power to help and assist in uh, in in, enga- in engaging children towards transgenderism, keeping it from the parents, so supportive of schools, uh, school athletes being able to play on whatever team they want, male or female, whether they are male or female, so supportive of school children deciding and being empowered to go into whichever locker room or bathroom they want, male or female, male, male or female. Um, wasn't true. She's a physician, a pedi- pediatrician. We might say physician Heal thyself. Uh, listen to this. And then, you know, my transition was very different. This, for many reasons, professional and mostly personal reasons, I transitioned over ten years. Okay? most people don't take that long to transition. First of all, young people are not willing to do that anymore. And you know, I mean, I don't know if I was 50, if I was fifteen now. I don't know if I would have taken so long. But but again, when I was fifteen, what were you going to say, and who would you tell, and how would you possibly express that? But. Um, so the, the language started about, you know, and that was now 20 years ago um, when I started, when I kind of started this journey. And it was starting to become more in culture and the Internet and support groups, etc. So um, uh, so I took a long time. Um, I don't regret uh, any of that, if that. But I have no regrets because if I transitioned when I was young and I wouldn't have my children. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a life without my children. Wow. In 2019, she was glad to delay the decision so that she could have children. Well, something's changed in the last three years, hasn't it? What is it? What is it? Why is she willing to have herself get children but not other kids? It's another beautiful Glenn Campbell. Bank failures, stock market volatility, possible recession, inflation. Where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in the secure collateralized portfolio from Why Refi, and Why Refi is headquartered here locally. They and I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there plenty of times. I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Errata number four in the contretemps between young David and myself. Uh, He's right and I'm wrong. It was not Nixon that started the Big Mo. I was convinced it was. As he pointed out, it was George Herbert Walker Bush in uh, the 1979-80 race, yes? My apologies, and thank you, David. The audio I went out with, by the way, was Rachel Levine, the uh, Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services, the first transgender political appointee, um, who is part and parcel of having uh, children uh, being uh, able to transition at uh, whatever age they deem it appropriate or to start the transition at whatever age they deem appropriate, is uh, empowering of the notion that schools do not have an obligation to tell the parents about the kids lest it stop the kids in their decision-making processes and allowing the children, of course, to compete on whatever athletic team they want, male or female, 
female or male. Uh, same with the use of bathrooms. But in this 2019 speech, the audio of which I just played you, she talks about how she took a long time to transition and says, I have no regrets. I'm quoting directly. I played the audio in the last segment. I have no regrets because if I had transitioned when I was younger, then I wouldn't have my children. I can't imagine a life without my children. And God bless the fact that she was able to have children and did experience uh, and give the world that joy. Why does she want to deprive everyone else of it, too? Why? Why? I think it's cruel. What's being marketed as kind and supportive and affirming is actually cruel. A lot more coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 